Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I am your host, the aforementioned Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. This is uh, the latest in a series of live-streamed martial arts podcasts. Uh, this is a faster way to produce the content. Uh, and since I can use the same setup that I use for my news and commentary podcast, this is how we'll do it for the foreseeable future. Today's podcast is about women in self-defense. And this was inspired by the fact that when I asked about topics for the martial arts podcast on my ex account, formerly Twitter, uh, several people mentioned they wanted uh, topics involving women in self-defense. Women protecting themselves with everyday items was one of the requests. Uh, what are some legal weapons women can use to protect themselves was another. So let's talk about that. We can't talk about women in self-defense without acknowledging a very obvious reality, and that is that women are the decided minority when it comes to self-defense interest. By that, I mean that in any martial arts class I've ever been to, in any seminar, uh, any collection of students of self-defense, no matter what it was, of any kind, from traditional martial arts to more modern reality-based self-defense systems to anything involving self-defense, women were always the decided minority in terms of their representation. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. I tend to pin it most notably on just a genetic difference. I think men are inclined to take self-defense more seriously. I think women in general often do not. I wish they would, but I don't think you can force people to be interested in things that they are not normally interested in. The exception would be people who become interested in self-defense because something bad happened to them. And some of the most um, zealous self-defense advocates I have ever encountered online were women who had had a bad experience and who were determined to make sure that that bad experience did not reoccur, at least not without a great deal of pushback, shall we say. So right off the bat, when you talk about women in self-defense, you're dealing with a smaller audience and you have to find different ways to reach them uh, and sometimes to motivate them. Although I'm not, I do not believe you can motivate people to want to take self-defense seriously unless they already do. Um, you can tell people till you're blue in the face that this is an important thing. There is a mindset among people, both male and female, among a certain segment of the population. If I don't feel unsafe, then I'm not unsafe. This is not a strategy for long-term survival. As we saw in that videotape of the Ryan Carson murder, which we covered here at the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore, reality can find you at the worst possible moment. And the fact that you had no survival instincts does not mean you will not be killed. So it is encouraging that a couple of the questions that came in when I just sent out a general call for what topics should we cover were topics involving women in self-defense. I find that extremely encouraging. But when we approach this subject, we also have to acknowledge that the industry, and self-defense is an industry, it is a commercial industry like any other, that industry often does women a disservice. It starts with retail establishment biases. And no, I haven't suddenly become a left-winger and decided that the world is full of institutional bias. What I'm saying is, without a doubt, women are treated differently than men in certain retail venues. 
Some of those retail venues are things like automotive shops. Others of them are gun stores. And in the self-defense world in general, they are often treated differently. Not always badly, but for example, a woman who goes into a gun store and asks for advice from the people over the gun counter is likely to get advice that is sometimes condescending. Oh, little lady, you want to you know, buy one of these guns that is pink and designed to appeal to you. And uh, many, the, many are the industry exponents who have tried to cash in on what they saw as a lucrative market for women's self-defense tools, like Lady Smith was a line that Smith & Wesson put out for guns designed for women that had more colors and had smaller handles to accommodate smaller hands. That's all good. Like when there's more choices to accommodate a wider range of people's body types, that's good because the last thing you want in a handgun is something with a grip that's too big for you. But the point is that the marketing often fails because there aren't enough people that they're trying to reach. When you're trying to reach a market of women in the self-defense industry, targeting them means your, your venture is probably going to fail. There are exceptions, but then there are some truly atrocious examples of women's self-defense weapons that are designed to convey a false sense of security without actually teaching you anything. You buy this thing, carry this thing, which doesn't work all that well, and feel safer even though you really aren't. You know, these dodgy rings that you can wear while you're jogging that are supposed to scratch the attacker and collect his DNA for the CSI forensic examination that's never going to occur after the fact. Um, there's a variety of, of just terrible self-defense products. And this is not a gendered issue because there are terrible self-defense products on both sides of the of the aisle. <laughs> there's plenty of terrible self. I, I was just complaining on Twitter about these these rings that people wear as knuckles that they fold out, you put your fingers in them, and supposedly they turn you into a power puncher. The problem is that any set of knuckles that doesn't have a standoff to sit in your palm and take the impact of the blow is really just a finger masher. It's going to break your fingers or damage your fingers. It's going to be extremely painful when you try to use it. Knuckles without standoffs are a terrible idea, and they are marketed by people who don't care about you and just want to sell you cheap crap. So don't get the sense that I'm saying that you know, the self-defense industry is just stacked against women, but it is a fact that often that industry does those women a disservice, just purely out of ignorance. A lot of the people who do that are well-meaning. There are martial arts schools that offer free women's self-defense classes. That's A, to bring in women students by getting them in the doors so that hopefully they'll see something they like and they'll want to stay. And, and also to as a public service, you know, teaching women self-defense for free, volunteering your time, that is a public service and that's a good thing. So we should encourage that behavior among martial arts schools and self-defense places um, more generally. It's just that we also have to acknowledge that you're already looking at a market that is terribly skewed, uh, a market that has always served men more than women because men are more interested in it. We cannot fault the people doing the marketing for recognizing where most of their customers come from. But it would be nice if women would take responsibility for their self-defense a little more seriously. And I don't know as we can overcome the genetic predisposition to not, which is not to say that everyone's the same. There are always exceptions. I'm just saying that based purely on numbers, what I've seen over the years, in general, to grossly overgeneralize, women seem less interested in self-defense than men, even though they are more in need of it. And part of that might be 
there's that old onion headline that the average man is several thousand times less capable as a fighter than he thinks he is. So part of that might simply be that men are genetically predisposed to think they've got it covered when in fact they do not. And men are just as guilty of the same behaviors when it comes to like, I bought this self-defense product. I got no training with it, but I'm carrying it now. So I must be safe. No, you're not. That's not how that works. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of guilt to go around. Um, let's see. So I have five points that I want to make in the course of this broadcast. One of them is that women are a minority in self-defense and the martial arts. That's a fact. So efforts to protect women and encourage women to get self-defense training must come from a place of acknowledging that they are already a minority. So if you want to create a welcoming atmosphere in any sort of self-defense or martial arts school, consider the fact that the average person is going to be intimidated walking into an environment where they are outnumbered. This is a powerful argument for women-only self-defense classes to help encourage them to come in. Now, in the martial arts classes that I've taken down through the years, the female students were very often among the best of the students there because they were highly motivated. So it's good when you can bring in highly motivated, engaged students who want something. What they want is to become competent in self-defense so that they will not become victims. So overall, this is all positive. It's just something you have to understand. Now, uh, my next point, self-defense weapons for women there's no such thing. Self-defense weapons for men are self-defense weapons for women. The industry does, you know, in, in, in trying to brand some of the weapons pink, it's the, it's the old pink camo conundrum. You know, why are some things pink? Why, why are some of the rifles pink to appeal to a female demographic? You know, because obviously men generally don't buy hot pink weaponry. Um, that's just one example of how the industry tries to cater to a female demographic. Well, we need to get away from the idea that you should market one color to one sex and another color to another sex and focus on what weapons are effective. Now, when it comes to allowing for differences in handle size uh, to accommodate the fact that women and men have on average different sized hands, that's a good thing. Um, there have even been some attempts to warp self-defense weaponry to better conform to the human body to greater or lesser degree, like guns that are actually a little bit curved. What was it? What's it called? The Taurus curve. It's the most hideous thing you've ever seen. Um, I think there may or may not have been an attempt to do a knife that hugs the body in the same way. Those are gimmicks, but it's good when we understand that our demographic is differently shaped so that they can get the products that work best for them. The, the terrible reality, though, is that you can adapt to just about anything, even if it isn't perfectly what you want. Um, the, I object to marketing specifically to women that tells them, uh, we, we sell self-defense keychains for women. Buy the self-defense keychain and you are magically self-defended. And often the components of those self-defense keychains, I see them for sale like on uh, craft sites, and they're very often advertised on sites like uh, TikTok. It's a blob of some froofy stuff that doesn't do anything but looks pretty, and then color-coordinated pepper spray, and maybe some knuckles, and uh, you know maybe a utility knife, something like that. And they're all glommed together on this giant keychain, thus ensuring that none of the items can be grabbed and used with any degree of efficacy. So when you're when you're Kubuton, when your little pocket stick 
keychain is color coordinated with the rest of your teal ensemble and it's all in the same key ring, you're not going to be able to use that very effectively. And I despise this type of marketing that sells a product and does so effectively that will never be used for its intended purpose and will likely be in the way of itself when they try to use it. When you try to take that glob of furry keychain stuff and use it on an attacker, I hate that. Um, you know, guns designed for women, I, I mentioned before, it's good when the handles are more accommodating, when the size of the weapon is better for a woman's frame and stature. But it's like the industry is trying to turn them into toys, trying to turn them into things you take less seriously to some degree. And that, again, wraps back around to doing a disservice. So let me just uh, check here. Master of Violence says, is this live? Didn't expect this and accidentally clicked it. Yes, it is live, but mostly so that I can record this episode of the podcast. I don't expect there to be any viewers. So we're both doing okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's the best weapon for women for self-defense who maybe don't want to go any further? It's simple. It's pepper spray. Uh, pepper spray is messy. Pepper spray has a tendency to affect you to some degree while it's affecting someone else to greater degree. That's unavoidable. But if you have a woman in your life who wants to defend herself and isn't interested in seeking any further training, Pepper spray is about the best weapon you can choose for that person because it's reasonably effective. It's reasonably easy to practice with. Uh, that's an element that's often left out. And it's socially acceptable. Pepper spray is legal even here in my state where almost everything is illegal. So, and stay away from all the recommendations online for, you know, brake cleaner and Lysol and every other bee spray and ridiculous uh, home cleaning products. None of that is effective. It's either not effective at all, or in the case of some caustic chemicals, it's too effective. And you're just burning a guy's eyeballs out of his head. Uh, stay away from all of that. Just buy pepper spray, carry that. I do recommend that you buy more than one unit and then you practice with it. You go out into a big open field in the middle of nowhere, and hopefully not on a terribly windy day. And you spray that pepper spray from the unit that is identical to the one that you're carrying. You see, how far does it go? How many sprays can you get out of it? What does the pattern of the spray look like? Do you taste the tingle in the air from the pepper spray? Because you will. You need to know what that's like. The wrong time to find out that you're terribly allergic to this is when you're doing it to protect yourself from being mugged or raped. So yes, by all means, I would recommend pepper spray for anyone who's not interested in getting further training. And then you must practice with it. It's cheap. You can buy those little keychain canisters, buy a few of them, take one of the identical units, find yourself a nice open field on a non-windy day, spray it around, see what it does. There are too many people carrying this stuff around who've never even tried it to see if it works. Uh, and that's bad. Okay, uh, the best weapon for women who will go further in their training Obviously, it's going to be the handgun, but but let's take guns out of the equation, because right or wrong, we often deal with firearms and then everything else separately in the self-defense world. Part of that is because firearms are so immensely effective and so incredibly powerful that it is the single best self-defense weapon you can carry. If you only focused on firearms training, on tactical firearms training, you'd be doing pretty well. 
Now, plenty of teachers who understand what they're talking about will tell you that you need to be able to fight without that handgun, for example, to fight your way to it if you're not with it when something happens. Um, or if you can't get to it or you're in a position where you can't draw it immediately, drawing it would get it taken away, that kind of a thing. Setting all that aside, though, if we pick the second best weapon for self-defense for women, it's definitely the knife. That's because the knife is the second best weapon for self-defense for everyone. But it's particularly effective if you are a person who is smaller and weaker than the person attacking you. That's going to apply to you as a guy just as often as it's going to apply to you as a woman, because attackers will always choose a situation where they have an advantage if they're smart. That means that if you're a dude walking down the street, your attacker will either be better armed than you, more numerous than you, or bigger and stronger than you, or maybe all of the above. Your knife is a force multiplier, and it's one of the best force multipliers that exists because of the amount of damage it can do versus the amount of muscle power it doesn't require to do it. A very sharp knife requires very little force to deliver deadly deadly force in self-defense. Uh, as such, you have to take it very seriously because when you introduce a knife into a situation, you are introducing a potentially lethal tool. So your life had better be in danger. You had better be under credible, imminent threat of grievous bodily harm or death. You can't just start waving it around as a threat. Um, it's, again, going back to that Ryan Carson video where you know, he encounters a dude at four in the morning on the lonely streets of Brooklyn. That guy has a knife. Maybe leave that guy alone. Maybe if he tells you to back off, do whatever he says. Yes, sir. Suddenly you speak the Queen's English and you turn around and go the other way. Unfortunately, Mr. Carson had no survival instincts. And then he turned and tripped and fell on a, on a, a bench that is what killed him. Whether he was unconscious after he hit that bench or not, Hitting that bench is what killed him because he made he made a critical fumble. He rolled whatever constitutes a critical fumble in his life, and that was it. It was over for him. So if you are a woman and you are interested in effective self-defense and you're willing to put in the time and training, then learning to use a knife in self-defense is what's going to give you the single greatest advantage. Um, I want to say it was one of the seasons of True Detective on HBO where which actress was it? There was there was an actress who was playing one of the detectives. She was keenly aware of the fact that she was smaller than most of the people she was going to come up against, so she carried a knife for that reason. Now, that's fiction, but it's based on a true concept. I'm certain some technical advisor told them that, and it was true. So keep that in mind. Keep that example in mind. Um, everyday items for self-defense that are also legal that anyone can carry and that everyone should would include uh, flashlights because a flashlight is just like a, a pocket stick. It's just like, you know, this, this is a pocket stick that has a loop for your fingers. So you can strike with it. And then when you open your hand, you don't lose it. But the principle is just physics. I'm concentrating the force of my blow into a smaller area. The stick doesn't feel pain and won't break like my knuckles can and will. Therefore, when I strike with it, the same amount of force is, is being multiplied. It's doing more damage on the other end. Well, any object that conforms to this general envelope will do that. 
So for example, this aluminum marker, which houses a Sharpie inside it, will do the same thing. Any sturdy metal pen will do the same job. You know, any pen like this. It doesn't have to be a fancy tactical pen. It could just be a metal pen can be used as a striking and poking implement. Um, a comb, surprisingly, just a simple pocket comb, if you get one that's nice and rigid, can not only be used to strike with to the face. You're, you obviously, you know, you take this and plant it in somebody's chest. He's going to look at you like, what are you doing? But the face is the target you're hoping for. If you jam this into somebody's eye, if you rake it across their face and across their eyeballs, if you take this and plant it into their cheeks and rip with it, it's actually a, a surprisingly effective self-defense tool. So that's all those things are legal. Flashlights, pens, combs are all legal. Anything that you can carry that resembles a pocket stick and conforms to that same basic principle, that concentrating force into a smaller area. Those are legal to carry and you can take them anywhere. There's a few other things, sort of out of the box things you can do, but once you do them, not necessarily as legal. For example, uh, you should always carry a bandana. A square of cloth is immensely helpful in your daily life. It can be a lot of things. You can carry things with it. You can make a face mask out of it. You can, you know, mop up blood with it. Uh, I, I, one time uh, I was visiting relatives and the cat scratched uh, one of my nephews really badly. So I just grabbed my bandana and put it over his, his uh, forehead so he would get you know, before we could get him medical treatment, because it was a pretty bad, pretty bad cut. Um, was apparently his sister was dangling the cat over his face. That did not work out well. So uh, you can use a bandana for all those things, but if you fill it with something heavy, like batteries or any heavy object you picked up, and then you tie it off, all of a sudden you have a makeshift blackjack. Now we're kind of in legally questionable territory when that happens because once you use that you, you then you better be there better be an awful lot of justification for why you macgyvered that up um let's see there are a number of programs online that you can seek out and pay for ed calderon has what he calls his motel armorer program which is all about improvising weapons taking the time to gin up self-defense weapons from objects that are available around you just about anywhere you go, especially when traveling. Because obviously, when you travel, if you're used to carrying certain weaponry, you cannot take it with you if you take a plane, if you go anywhere where there's security checkpoints, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I drove to New York City once, but while I was there, I carried a disposable knife, meaning a folding knife that I could just throw away if I needed to. It was within the legal length limit, but I didn't know if I was going to encounter a security checkpoint anywhere along my tourism where they wouldn't let me through with a knife. Interestingly, the UN had worse security than NBC Studios, and that was back in 2005. So go figure. Self-defense tools and self-defense training are for everyone. They're not just for women, and they shouldn't be divided by sex as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what works for a smaller person against a larger person is what works no matter the wedding tackle involved. So I think we should encourage people when it comes to self-defense to view it as an equal opportunity playing field 
where the only factors are the size and stature of the people involved, because that's always a factor, like it or not. If you're smaller than the person attacking you, you are at a disadvantage. If you are less numerous than the people attacking you, you are at a disadvantage. And I don't know about you, but you know, most of us are one person. I might be two, 2.5 people, but <laughs> we're not going by mass here. We're going by number of limbs. So when approaching the topic of self-defense, no, women don't hate self-defense. I think in general, they are less likely to take an interest in it. We could debate all day long why that is. Is it, is it cultural? Is it um, something to do with, with negative feedback? Like, are women discouraged from being in these spaces that are primarily male-dominated just because men are more interested in them? You know, it becomes a, a vicious cycle because men are more interested in the topic, so they are more numerous at these places. And the fact that they are more numerous drives away potential female customers in some cases, and therefore they remain more numerous. Is it that? Is it something else? What are some ways we can overcome that and encourage women to take self-defense seriously and take an interest in it? That's only going to be true up to a point because you can't force someone to be interested in something that they are not interested in, nor should you try. If you're just hectoring them, if you're just pestering them, come on, come on, self-defense, self-defense, you're just going to annoy them and they're going to go in the other direction. So I think the solution is to be accepting and tolerant while providing compelling reasons why the demographic you're courting would want to take the topic seriously, and then understanding that the industry has done them a disservice up to now, and we should do what we can to counter that. Makes sense to me. All right, that will do it for this episode of the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here.